Well, I guess I don't have to tell you. There is a, a record-setting heat dome that is absolutely smothering all of Texas. Here in North Texas, it has we've absolutely destroyed all the, the records for demands on, on the grid and electric. And we're sitting back and, and just anxious that we're going to have brownouts and blackouts. And one man who saw, us, saw all this coming and has been telling us about it for a good long while is the uh, professor emeritus from University of North Texas, the former associate director of the McGuire Energy Institute at SMU, a fellow at Good Enough College in London, Dr. Bernard Weinstein. He joins us right now. It's good to have you with us. Uh, good to be with you, David. So you wrote one the other day. Keep your fingers crossed this summer for the power grid. Boy, were you right. I've been keeping my fingers crossed uh, for the past week and uh, hoping that we can get through this heat dome uh, without any major disruptions. So far, so good. We have managed to keep the power on uh, despite record demand. Uh, we've had very, very few disruptions across the state of Texas. And it looks like we're going to make it through this ordeal. I don't know. But it's June. I mean, I just looked at the calendar. It's only June. It's not even supposed to be hot yet. Tell me how we got into this mess. Are we, I mean, are we unique? We are unique in Texas in that we're not part of the national grid. We have this, um, you know, this this Texas grid that's run, run by the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. If we didn't have that, would, would we have be having these problems? If we had more interconnects with the rest of the country, that would help some of the time, but not necessarily all of the time. Uh, for example, when we had the disruptions due to the deep freeze two years ago, even if we'd had interconnects, that wouldn't have helped because Oklahoma and Arkansas and other parts of the South and Southwest were suffering from a deep freeze as, as well, and they didn't have any extra power to send us. The, the, the fact that we have an independent grid on the one hand gives us a lot of flexibility, but on the other hand, requires us to maintain a larger reserve margin to, deer, to, to deal with things like this heat wave that we're currently experiencing. You see, gasoline, I can see, you know, holding a reserve or, or diesel or, or something like that because I can feel it, I can touch it. Electricity. Unless you just have a boatload of batteries, how do you how do you have the, the reserve capacity? You have the reserve capacity by having standby generators and by having batteries. Now, we're slowly getting into the battery business. We have about two gigawatts of installed industrial-scale batteries on the power grid, but that is only about, uh, well, look at it this way, you know, two gigawatts, versus peak demand yesterday, which was about 81 gigawatts. So, yeah, it's nice to have, and, and it helps, but we need a lot more batteries over time, and that will happen. Well, and, and what just we had the CEO of, uh, of Vestron. We were talking about with their most recent installation. I think it's south of Fort Worth. But he said that's transitional. It's to, 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 get, to hold us until we can fire up a gas-powered plant that's not being used and then really generate some electricity. That, 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 that's true, but there is a, there's a model out there in the brave new world of a green energy future. We're going to have lots and lots of renewable generators like wind and solar and maybe some geothermal. And we're going to store power in huge arrays of batteries to be backup for when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining. Now, I personally think that's an unrealistic goal. 
as I argued in this piece, we're going to need traditional baseload generation for a long, long time to come. And that's coal and that's large scale natural gas plants and that's nuclear. Unfortunately, we've been shuttering coal plants. We haven't been building much in the way of new gas plants, and we've been putting all of our eggs in the wind and solar basket. And nuclear, uh, we haven't had a new new one constructed in a couple of decades, have we? No. In fact, uh, nationwide, we've gone from 112 nuclear plants two decades ago. I think we're down to 90. There are several others that are scheduled to be closed. I think that's a big mistake. I've argued for years that if we want to have a green energy future, it has got to include nuclear. I mean, my goodness, if you've driven out to West Texas and you've seen those tens and thousands of windmills that are generating lots and lots of electrons, wow, they take up a lot of space. We could replace all those windmills or we could have had instead of those windmills two or three nuclear plants with a very small footprint generating the same number of electrons. Well, and the same phenomenon in, in solar, and especially I, I know enormous installations going up in, in northeast Texas, up toward the Arkansas and Oklahoma borders, which is, you know, it's open space and they're using it. But it, I, I, it looks to me like we're using everything available, natural gas, coal, wind, solar, nukes. Well, I don't know what else is left. We are. Uh, I mean, we're number one in the nation in wind, installed wind. We're, we're number two in solar, and we'll soon be number one. As you mentioned, we're building lots and lots of solar. Why are we investing so much in solar and wind and not in nuclear, let's say? It's because of the federal and state tax breaks. I mean, my goodness. But you take the production tax credit, you take uh, your state and local property tax incentives, and investing in wind power or investing in solar is a great deal. It's a great deal for the investors, and we can argue whether it's a great deal for consumers. Yes, the cost of wind and solar has come down dramatically, but that is partly because of the huge subsidies that they receive. We've got, uh, I mean, you've lived here forever. You've lived here as long as I have, I guess, and, and you've, you've seen the growth. But now it's a hockey stick. Uh, we're projected to pass Chicago and be the third largest metropolitan area in the United States of America by the end of the decade. How are we going yes, to keep that's everybody? True. That, that's true. And and not only is uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area the fastest growing large metro in the country, but the whole state of Texas is just about the only large state where the demand for electricity is growing. Uh, it's not growing in California. It's growing in Texas and it's growing in Florida. So that poses additional challenges. It's very different outlook here than in other parts of the country where because the population is stabilized or it's actually shrinking, the demand for electricity is shrinking. Well, what would, does that does that beg the argument that to tie on to to tie on to the national grid? I mean, if if that's true, then if we're growing at the expense of other areas, then they're generating electricity they don't need. I agree with you, and I have argued for a long time that we should have interconnects with the rest of the country, but this is Texas. We like having our own grid. It, we, we, it was initially set up as an independent grid so the old Federal Power Administration wouldn't have authority over us. So, yes, being an independent island in terms of power generation, it does give us some flexibility in terms of wholesale pricing, in terms of uh, 
uh, our competitive power market. Uh, but you know, the drawback is we can't draw from other parts of the country when the demand is high, and we can't sell to other parts of the country when demand is low. But okay, so you pointed out the advantage, and I, and I thought this was true. I t- I've talked to friends in other states, and I say we have this thing, Power to Choose. You know, dot com. And I go on there every year when my contract's up and I look at a competitive market and see who's got the lowest rate. And that's who gets my business for a year. That's a benefit of the grid, right? Oh, absolutely. I do the same thing. I always look for not necessarily the cheapest, but but a company that I believe over the next one or two years will be able to, you know, hold down my overall electric cost. So, you know, Texas is a kind kind of interesting state. You know, the nominal rates per kilowatt hour are very competitive. Of course, the demand is so high that we have very high electric bill, particularly in the summer. So immediate action plan would be what? Open more plants? Immediate action plan. None of these things happen immediately because it takes time to raise the money for power plant investments. There are a whole host of issues uh, related to the grid itself and building out the infrastructure to move electrons around the state or, for that matter, across state lines. This is a big issue nationally. You know, we're focused on Texas, but uh, there have been a number of assessments of the integrity and, and the reliability of the national power grids, and they're not in good shape. And, and part of Biden's grand infrastructure program is to incentivize utilities and privately owned utilities and state-owned utilities to invest more in transmission and distribution. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that, that's part of the problem, and we, we haven't really gotten into it. But look, what's this electricity thing? What's the energy transition all about? We hear all this talk about the energy transition, right? right. The energy transition simply means we want to use more electricity for everything. Let's electrify the economy. Well, that's all well and good, but it takes power to make power. So right now, I don't even know what a terawatt hour is, but last year, America consumed more than 4,000 terawatt hours. I think a terawatt is a trillion kilowatts. To electrify the economy, we'd have to produce more than twice that amount. And how do we get from here to there? We can't do it overnight. And I don't think we can do it just with renewables like wind and solar, unless we want to paper the whole country (laughs) with windmills and solar panels. Uh, Your your points. Well, I think during the interim, uh, voluntary energy conservation is probably the only thing we can do right away. So if you could take your your thermostat and turn it up to about 85 so I can get a nap. I'd appreciate it. Thank hey, you. hey, listen, I'm doing my part right now. Believe it or not, we haven't had any uh, AC in our house for the last three days. And the contractors are so backed up, we can't even get anybody out here until next week. Oh, so we're doing our part. I, I, I have I have picked, picked the right guess for tonight. Dr. <laughs> Bernard Weinstein is uh, the emeritus professor from UNT and our good friend. It's always good to spend some time with you. Thank you, sir. Good talk to you. Good luck. Uh, we'll see if we can find you an engineer to get okay. out there. For more of our conversation, go to krld.com slash CEO. David Johnson, News Radio 1080 KRLD.